You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Whether you need a battery for your truck, or a battery for your trail camera, or a specialized battery for your rangefinder, or a crazy toy that you bought for your kids, Interstate Batteries has got you covered. Stop into a local Interstate Battery retail store, talk with a specialist, get the battery that you need, and go on about your day. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Pat and Nicole Reeve, hosts of Driven TV, are on the show. We discuss the beginning of Driven TV, keeping hunting fun and exciting for kids, keeping footage and the story unique, and more. I hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Tales from the Field, presented by Outdoor Edge. Stories, tips, tactics, and in-depth conversations coming to you from industry leaders. Let's get into the show. Today we have Pat and Nicole with Driven Hunter on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to hop on the show today. Thanks, Zach. We appreciate it. We're excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to have you. I, I've been watching your show for a while, and I, I I've, <laughs> don't date us. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't. Definitely don't mean it that way. But man, I, I've always loved the you know the realism and the struggles and the hardships and and everything that you guys show in in your episodes because it's just obviously you know I'm. I've hunted long enough that I know, I know how hard it is, you know, and I've, I've always appreciated that about your show and just watching your guys' camaraderie and, and it's just, I, I really enjoy your show. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate the support and yeah, you tuning in. It's definitely a lot of fun to be able to travel the world and go to different places we're able to see and be able to bring it back to people. I think that's what the best part is. It's awesome. Especially now, you know, when you have your trophy room, you look on the wall and you remember every single story and people come over and see it. And they're like, I remember watching that on TV. So it's just fun to be able to bring the hunt back to TV and back to, you know, wherever they're tuning in to view it to somebody that maybe may not be able to go, you know, to some of the locations we're able to travel to and things and they're able to experience it through our television show. Yeah, it's, you know, that it's funny that you bring back, you know, bring up the memories because that was, I, I literally got my first camera just so when I got back from a hunt, I could show my wife or my kids or whatever else. That was the sole intention. Um, right. So I, I completely can resonate with being able to just have those memories and hold on to them and share them with people because that, I mean, that that's, aside from you know, going out and having the experience and everything like that, the memories are a huge portion of the whole experience. And what a, what a great way to be able to share it with people by having your television show, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, that's one of our favorite parts of being able to do what we do, you know, to be able to 
tell the story and help other people travel to the locations per se through our show, you know, that may never get the opportunity. Right. So with, with driven, I mean, obviously it's not like you guys have been doing it ever since you started hunting. So when you guys were going through your hunting careers or hunting lifestyles more so at what point were you, did you just kind of go, you know what? I think, I think we're going to start a TV show and, and cause I would imagine, obviously, especially talking with like Willie with pure hunting. I, I know that it's not like you just flip a switch and one day you're not on sh- on air. And then the next day you're like, Hey, look, we got a TV show and we're on air. So how, how did it kind of become that it was Pat and Nicole of driven hunting? Well, I'll kind of pick that up. You got the the better looking half now talking here. Driven. <laughs> um, I, uh, um, you know, it didn't happen by mistake or, you know, it wasn't like I didn't wake up one morning and decide to start my own TV show. Um, it just kind of like eventually folded into that, but I've been doing this professionally for a little over 30 years now. So <laughs> It, it's been quite a while. And, um, of course I didn't start with my own show. Um, and I think it's, it would have been very hard for me to just start right off the bat with my own. Um, I just worked into it and I was, I got into the business when the getting was good, I guess you might say, um, on the infancy part of the, um, the hunting, um, television production world. And I started, back in the day well i actually was a guide in buffalo county wisconsin and and um we had one of the very first tv shows to ever come that was just just newly on air and that was jackie bushman's show um and he came up to hunt with us that first year that he started and i believe he was on like tnn or or zspn or it was one of those networks that kind of had some fishing and then so he came up and hunted with us, and I got to know his producer, Gene Biddlespacher, who was a legendary guy already in making videos uh, with the Wenzel brothers. And I'd watch his stuff, you know, earlier on when hunting videos first came out. And then he just urged me to um, take, and we had been out filming on our own as a hobby, you know, it's just something fun to do. And we showed him some of our films. And he's like, man, you should take this. Uh, you should take your talents to a more of a professional level. So I followed his advice and I just started freelancing um, on the side for some people in the business. Uh, I started freelancing for Tom Miranda on, on ESPN. And I also freelanced for a company called Hunter Specialties out of Iowa. And I did some other small projects, but one thing led to another and Hunter Specialists hired me full time as, as one of their pro staff and producers. And we were off and running. I, you know, then, and I got to still live in Southeastern Minnesota where I still, you know, live today. So, um, yeah, uh, started filming for Hunter Specialists full time and we put together one of the, you know, more popular video series called primetime bucks. A lot of people, you know, still today bring that up. Oh, I remember you on primetime box or whatever. And I kind of brought in a unique angle to that, that video series by putting stories and unique uh, segments together 
that were just more than just a hunting segment. Um, it had, it had life stories about albino deer that we followed throughout the years. And it had just unique, different, unique stories. So there's two bucks locked together, but it was always something unique to, that brought made the video better than others. So, um, I, I love white tails. Of course, I, I mean, growing up here, um, in this part of the world, I mean, we're just fortunate to live in the Midwest and we're 10 minutes from Wisconsin and only an hour north of, uh, the Iowa border. So we can kind of hunt all three States pretty fast, um, or pretty easy. So, um, it was just a good part of the world to live in. And of course I, I guided in Buffalo County, which is one of the number one counties in the world for whitetails. So I just was kind of, I had great hunting at my doorstep. And, uh, so long story short, just kind of speed this long story up. Uh, eventually, uh, I wasn't, I wanted to do more whitetail stuff and be involved more at filming and doing more whitetail production. So I left Hunter Specialties after working there, I think around six years and, um, started a, uh, a new TV series called, called North American Whitetail Television. And that was kind of there was a magazine, but there was never a TV show. So um, I started that and was the producer. Um, of course, uh, we had Stan Potts and Greg Miller that were also hosts of that. And uh, all three of us hosted the show. And it was a very popular, instantly popular series um, that aired on the Outdoor Channel. And I worked there for three seasons. And then... Um, as things happen in your life, I was um, let go and um, I had to kind of make a decision what I should do in my, with the rest of my life. <laughs> so that forced me, in, in hindsight, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, but it forced me to make a decision. And that decision became like going out and start my own actual television program, which is now called Driven, you know, uh, with that Nicole. But I, back then I named it Driven 24-7 and, uh, and it best described who I was. And um, I didn't, of course, land on the Outdoor Channel that first year. I had to kind of start on a secondary network. I believe it was called the Men's Channel back then. <laughs> and I did all kinds of, I did all kinds of, you know, shows on that. And I just had gotten to know Nicole. Um, she, I met her at a at a show we met you know at i believe the ata show and she did a cameo appearance on north american whitetail so that's how i we got to know each other and then um kind of fell apart didn't i didn't get to see her for a long time and a couple years went by and then i bumped into her again um at uh at another show and we talked and and then i asked her to like you know, come up, come up, yeah, start date me. Actually, um, uh, yeah, that I, I was of, waiting. I wanted, to, I wanted to skip. Uh, I wanted to skip through that part of it, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyways, in 2000, I I'd had a show since uh, 04, and then in 2007, she joined me on Driven, and um, of course, the rest is history. So that was kind of a long and short of how. It, this all happened, but eventually we, about that same time frame in 07, 08, we landed on the Outdoor Channel, and uh, 
and been there ever since. You know, Tuesday nights, 8.30 Central is our prime slot. But, uh, have you know, um, Outdoor Edge has always been one of, it's been our only knife sponsor. They've been with us a long time from this, basically the inception. And uh, we've grown together. It's amazing how the products in their line have developed and, and come out with new innovative products and and. David Block, I always tell people, is one of the, you know, hardest working owners that I've ever met. He's an innovator. He's uh, relentless. He never gives up. He stays up, I think, all night just thinking of new, fresh ideas. But uh, always can always can appreciate Outdoor Edge and who they are and what they stand for. Right. And like Pat said, we've been with them for from the inception, really, of Driven. We've been with Outdoor Edge. So 15 plus years, we've represented Outdoor Edge. And year after year, he continually, like he said, comes up with new products. When you think it can't get better, it gets better. And they have such an assortment in their line that no matter what type of hunt we're going on, it hits exactly perfect what we need. And, you know, I we went to dinner with him this year at a show and I have a whole new, we always knew how hard David Block worked, but I have a whole new respect for him after learning how he really got his company off the ground, you know, and his dad told the story of him and it's absolutely amazing just to hear literally the first shot show he came to, he was sleeping on the floor. He didn't even have enough money for a hotel room he was sleeping on the floor with his little backpack of outdoor edge knives. He'd spent all of his money on, on booth costs. I mean, when you want to talk about somebody dedicated to their brand and getting the, you know, their name out there and building a brand, I mean, it's David Block. He has poured blood, sweat and tears into it. And that's, I think why we've always been such big supporters of outdoor Edge is because they're good quality knives, good quality product. And we believe in the founder and what they stand for. Yeah, I yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I uh last year is uh the first year that I uh ever met Dave in person. And I went to Kansas with him to film his whitetail hunt and it was you know <laughs> like like I guess like somebody that is continually thinking of what's next. Uh, we would wake up in the morning and, and I'd be like, well, Dave, how'd you sleep? And like, well, I couldn't stop thinking about this or I couldn't stop thinking about that. And I'm like, yeah, uh, well, totally David. I'm like, well, I'll keep you awake <laughs> in the stand, buddy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, he's one of, he's one of them guys that never quits thinking. No. And, and I don't believe he's ever got a full night's rest ever because he's just one of them, one what of them guys. He, yeah. What can he do better? What can he make better? Yeah. His brain, his development side of his brain is, always innovating which is i mean honestly is the coolest part and uh like i you know we'll we'll be amazed because every year we come to the shot show and he's got this new product out he's like oh i you know and some of it is just it ain't it's not just a knife it could be a barbecue set or it could be a chow pow or i mean it, it has a lot of different usages and i mean he keeps expanding the line but it always has good quality and definitely is um, helpful when in the field. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, uh, you know, uh, Nicole had mentioned that you, uh, that you use a lot of the different knives that Outdoor Edge offers. How does your selection of what you will bring 
differ from, say, an Alaskan moose hunt as opposed to, hey, we're, we're going to go hunt Wisconsin and we'll be headed to the tree stand tonight and we'll be back home uh, when it's dark. How, how does your selection of outdoor edge knives change from scenario to scenario? Well, it, it really deciphers on, uh, of course, the animal you're going after, you know, because if you're going after a moose or something big like an elk or, or something with massive body size, and you're going to be doing a lot of processing, of course, then you would um, change a little bit of your selection in the knives. You might take a, you know, a kit to the field, or you might take a longer type of knife, Um uh, one of our favorite knives that we love using now is the Razor Max knife um, <laughs> because that thing, that thing has got a longer blade. And uh, I I like it because, of course, you can change the blades out. You don't have to take a sharpener's with you um, to touch it up if if you're cutting an entire moose. And last year we cut up – we actually cut up two – big Alaskan moose in the Yukon, um, back to back days with the same knife. And, um, yeah, it worked incredible. Um, but if we go, let's say, um, if we're going on a sheep hunt or something that of course changes things because you're take, you're not going to take a knife that weighs a lot. So, um, we might go and, and change up that for, um, the purpose is like the go to the razor light um, that is, uh, of course, replacement has replacement to knives or um, blades that go in there. And it's very lightweight. So you're conscious of, of course, the weight issue. Have you ever dreamt of having the true Western elk hunt experience? I'm talking screaming bulls, the smell of pine and elk wallows, a bow in your hand as the herd bull is coming into shooting range. Outdoor Edge is giving away a free elk hunt with Colorado Premier Outfitters out of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and the chance to hunt with president and founder of Outdoor Edge, David Block. To enter the drawing, go to OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Again, that is OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Now, let's get back to the show. Uh, for whitetails, you know, I wouldn't use necessarily, you can use that knife, but I like, like, I started out using the swing blade as one of my primary whitetail knives just because uh, I like it because it also, you know, you have a really sharp blade edge, but then, um, and it comes in a really nice protected uh, sheath, but then it also has the gut hook, which you can then push a button and swing it over and use the gut hook and i've i've told people forever i said that's probably the nicest thing that i've ever had when it comes to you know field dressing the deer and getting the guts out of them or the intestines i guess if you want to be politically correct uh getting that out without poking them and having all kinds of that nasty stuff all over so i mean i when i use that gut hook I mean, it's quick and clean, and you're not pecking away at it, cutting something that you shouldn't. Probably, probably the slickest thing, and it's super sharp. Um, so the swing blade is, you know, definitely 
one of my choices. And, and recently I went to the Razor Pro um, that, you know, has um, replaceable blades and it also comes with that, that gut hook as well. So there's a lot of different options out there, but those, those are super important when it comes to um, different types of game. I gotcha. Yeah. It, I was very impressed with the, the razor max. Um, after, after that hunt last year, Dave gave me one and he, you know, he even mentioned, he said, Hey, you know, I know that you, you like to focus more on, on backpack style hunts and being super lightweight, but uh, I think you might really like this, like this razor max. And I, I grabbed it and I was like, yeah, that thing, I totally looked at my right in the face and said, Dave, that thing feels, feels really good in the hand. He goes, yeah, yeah, it feels, feels pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> and man, like you say, just having that, the, you know, as opposed to the razor light, you know, where it's a three and a half inch blade all the way up to the razor max, where I, I believe it's about a five inch blade or five and a half, just that little bit extra length. It's crazy. Um, how much more just maybe even processing meat at home, how much that extra blade length helps. I, I was very impressed with the razor max. Yeah, I really like that. And if we're cutting up a, a moose, of course you got a lot of obviously meat to cut through if you're, right. and if you're cutting the back straps out of it, you do have a lot longer blade to get up underneath there. Again, it fits in your hand beautifully and, um, you can cut, you know, without having to take a lot of slices through that back strap to quarter it and stuff like that. But um, just really probably one of the my favorite knives that Outdoor Edge has ever developed, yeah, personally speaking. Really like the knife. I think it's just one of the best out there for sure. Awesome. So when uh, <laughs> the last thing I will say is when I, when I first started using, you know, uh, the knives that you can change the blade. I, I was never very good at sharpening knives and I've never liked sharpening knives. And now with outdoor edge, I will, I, I highly doubt that I will ever get good at sharpening knives. Cause why? <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, and, and with, with all the hunts that, that you two go on, I can only imagine being out in the field and it's, you know, it's, it's time to process the game and get it out of there. Um, what, you know, just, uh, one extra thing to remove from the equation, you just clip another blade on as opposed to having to pull out the stone and sharpen and do all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just really been a super useful, um, tool in the field, which again, allows for, quickness um you know and i i really think that all those replacement um blades interchangeable blades are really efficient when it comes to quickly getting the job done um in the field when you need a sharp knife for sure so with uh you know with driven hunter and and you decided to um decided to take the leap you know it it's amazing what happens when when you kind of have no other option right like like you mentioned that you know you're you're out of the job and it's like well what what do i really want to do and well here we go we're gonna go give her give her everything we got did you 
when you started that, did you did you think that you would be looking at fifteen years now and and it would would have gone like it is, or were you kind of like, man, I I hope this goes well. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, again, just kind of revisiting that earlier conversation we we're just having. Um, I named it driven for a reason and it's because I'm motivated to um do what I do and and do it at a high level. I mean, did I think it would last fifteen years? Ma, you know, um <laughs> I didn't I didn't I still can't believe it actually. Um I look back and see those earlier days, you know, the footage and the T V shows that we did when we first started and I just shake my head because I laughed because of the quality that I produce that now is nothing like when I started, but I guess that's why we're still here. Right. Is that, uh, it's gotten better. And, uh, and of course, you know, I looked a whole lot younger then. Um, <laughs> but you know, the coolest part is I've seen my kids grow up on film and I'm so thankful that I have those images in that video of them when they were younger, because I might not have got exactly that kind of thing um, if I wasn't doing it professionally or for, for a TV series. I, I wouldn't have probably filmed their hunts to the extent I did. So now I have that to look back on. We just did a, a showcase on my son, who's now 16, and and I have footage of him when he was, you know, much younger. You know, as an eight to 10 year old boy. And he's just, you know, of course, grown up and overnight. So <clears throat> it makes you, excuse me, <clears throat> it makes you really appreciate um, how fast they grow and, and yet still have those memories captured on, on film. But yeah, 15 years flies. <laughs> yeah. I, like I said, like I had mentioned, you know, that that's the whole reason that I even bought the camera in the first place was just to hold on to those memories. Cause I couldn't agree with you more. It, I mean, you, it's, it's as though you look at your child at, at one point and you blink and all of a sudden they're four and then you blink again and they're 12. And it's just like, what, what is happening here? <laughs> you know, and I, I would really appreciate, I told mine one time, I said, could you, Hey buddy, can you really please slowing down, slow down growing up? And, <laughs> True to uh, a three-year-old's response, he looks at me and goes, well, Daddy, I can't. <laughs> like, well, if you could try. Well, that. I know, you know, yeah, and, and uh, we were just laughing about this because Dave, actually David and I were talking, um, of course, and he is, had a son that's kind of about the same age as one of our youngest ones, Cashton, and Elijah is his name, and he and we talk about how fast they grow. Like, and I remember when um, David had them, you know, and they were, you know, he was just amazed. He's like, I didn't think I'd ever have time for having kids. And now, you know, it's a main focus to his life outside of outdoor edge is just, you know, having, having a child of his own. So it's pretty cool to, to see how things go and, um, you know, how things develop and change and, and yet you have to modify and, and we got, we got all kinds of stuff going on in our life. We're busy because the kids have, you know, they have all kinds of extracurricular activities with baseball and soccer and stuff going on. And you're constantly in a juggle of, you know, schedules and running here, running there. But 
before you know it, you'll be an empty nester. Yeah, absolutely. So with, you know, with, uh, taking your kids hunting and things like that, um, what, what kind of hunts or, or things did you guys do as your kids, when your kids were younger to, to have them out in the field with you, uh, so that, you know, so that they could actually enjoy it. Cause as, as both of you know, as, as soon as a kid is bored or cold or something like that, the hunt is, the hunt's no longer fun. It's just kind of miserable. <laughs> so what, you know, what kind of things did you do, uh, when it, when you took your kids out to make it as enjoyable as possible for them? Well, that's a great question because I think, you know, I think that's a big thing that you always want to try to make it a positive experience, especially when you're taking them out for the, one of their first times, because if they have a positive experience and, and they have fun doing it, then of course they'll probably want to repeat that again. And, um, that's kind of the whole, you know, idea of getting them started. Um, so, you know, we don't take them out on a, on a day that they're, they're going to freeze to death or it's going to be miserable or training or whatever. We take them out on a nice day. We take them to a spot that they're going to have a positive experience. We'll probably see if we're taking them deer hunting where they see a lot of deer. Um, and they get to interact and we also sit in a lot. I tell you, the best thing that we've had now is all these permanent blinds. We use muddy permanent blinds. And of course, we can get in those and um, and sit and talk and visit and and communicate. Where if you're sitting in a tree stand, you have to be a lot more quieter. So um, the permanent blinds have become a really nice addition to take the kids. And you can take multiple kids to them as well. We, we take the neighborhood kids and everybody, right? <laughs> so... Um, we just have, we have fun and I don't care if you got to take tons of snacks and lots of stuff to eat and drink and, uh, you know, their phone, if they want to watch cartoons like cash and he's five. So he, he gets bored pretty easy. So you got to have something to keep him, you know, halfway entertained. But you know, the, the whole idea is just having fun. It isn't always about harvesting something. We make sure that they understand that. Um, but I mean, my kids started out squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting and stuff like that. So they didn't just start out shooting a big animal. And, and I made sure that they understood how important it was to, um, learn to, you know, appreciate nature and to not have to see it as a, you know, a size issue or to, to view it as a successful hunt. So they shot does and small bucks as they come up and they, have graduated over the years to shooting bigger animals. I mean, we've taken our kids to Australia for water buffalo. We've hunted many times already out west for elk. They've, um, two of my children have shot really nice elk um, during the youth season in New Mexico. Of course, they've taken a ton of wild turkeys and, and deer back home. And, and that's the coolest part because now they've graduated into that next level. Carson is into filming. He loves filming and, and, uh, chasing white tails, uh, like I do. So kind of come full circle. That's, that's really cool. I, I, I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think as long as you can make it a positive, fun experience, um, the, the, the chances and likelihood, you know, of, of a repeat and them wanting to go again is, is tenfold. Um, I think as soon as, you know, whether it be hiking or something like that, as soon as you're pushing them and they're tired or they get cold, um, 
it's kind of, it's, it's kind of all over. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's so cool that, that, uh, your son is getting more and more into the filming side of it. I've noticed, uh, I have two boys. One is uh, about 19 months and the other one is, he just turned eight and watching him gain an interest for running a camera and taking pictures and, before I knew it, we got him a camera for his birthday. And before I knew it, we were filming the seventh episode of superheroes versus villains. And I don't know about you, but I didn't know that I looked anything like Thor, but apparently I do. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we've been, my five-year-old has got me thinking about filming Thomas the Train um, future episodes that are digitally produced. So I see a lot of people that do that, you know, and it's just crazy to watch all that stuff and um, so much fun, right? I, that's, yeah. that's the main thing. I, you know, I have five, we have five children together, Nicole and I, and um, they range all the way from the ages of 23 down to five. So um, we've been fortunate over the years to learn as we go. Um, but yeah, positive experience. I think for girls, it's really important to get them involved early on in their uh, age because, you know, as they get older, they get more interested in other things and, of course, friends and stuff. And, and um, you know, if you can get them out there, you know, between five and 10 years old, you're, especially as a father, you're going to make a big impression on them. And they're going to want to just spend more time with their dads out there in the field. I think that's the time to do it versus waiting till they might get to a legal hunting age of 12, which is mandated sometimes by states. You've already lost them if they're 12, 13, because they're already changing, you know, within themselves. So it's important to, to make those impressions early on. And both of my girls are big hunters. Um, my oldest is the archery manager now at Shields, which is a big retail store. And she's, she's taken her passion for the outdoors to a professional level and, and works in, you know, the archery side of things and sells outdoor edge knives. So um, it's pretty cool to see that come full circle as well. With, uh, with your guys's hunts every year, uh, how do you coordinate going on, you know, an Alaskan moose hunt or whatever else. And when you, when you still have younger kids at home. Well, that's always a a challenge and a balancing act. Fortunately, we have some great grandma and grandpa is a great support system to watch them, um, to make sure that they get off to school and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's super helpful because, and sometimes they go with, um, but yes, these big adventure hunts, uh, we rely a lot on other people to help us out, mainly, you know, grandpa and grandma um, that that uh, love watching them. And, um, and, of course, a couple of them are uh, Colt, my oldest son, Cole, um, who is not even a hunter, by the way. Um, he's off to college now and out of the house. And uh, Olivia, of course, she's she's old and out of the house as well. So we just got a few that are back home yet. but. Um, we just balance it and, uh, life, you know, it doesn't stop us. We just adapt, adapt, I guess you might say. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I I agree the same way. You know, I um my son went on several elk hunts with me when he was two and four and um going back to what we said, I remained to make it fun, but um chose to realize that I was probably gonna go in the elk woods and not shoot an elk, but I would rather have him there and make it fun for him than shoot an elk. And um right. you know, because uh, looking back, I'm not going to really remember probably shooting that cow elk or whatever, but uh, I can tell you the time that he was literally sitting on my shoulders when I shot the cow elk. I'll never forget that, you know, on the flip side. Right. And uh, yep. that's the memories you're talking. That's the memories you want. You yeah, know, exactly. You know, sure. and, and he just, he had a blast and I remember walking up that elk and he's literally, you know, he's two and he, he, he just looks at me and he goes, dad, can I pet it? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, buddy. You know, it's, it's not going to run away, <laughs> but it just, like you say, you just, uh, you, you make the accommodations that you need to make and, and you make everything work out, make everything fun and enjoyable for everybody. And before you know it, you look back and you're like, those, those are something that I'll never forget. And that's pretty cool. Uh, with, with the hunts that you guys typically do every year, uh, is there is there usually one or two hunts that that kind of stand out above the rest that you look forward to more than others? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, they all are, you know, important to us, and and we love doing every single one of them. Um, some you look forward to more than others. Like I'm I'm looking at going on a sheep hunt here in just a couple of weeks, and. And I'm excited to go on it, but yet dreading it at the same time because <laughs> it's such a grueling hard hunt. Yeah. Um, but one thing I learned about sheep hunting, and I, I'm really not in sheep shape, that's for sure. I, I tell my wife I'm in shape, but technically round is a shape. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, um, I mean, there's all of them that we do with our kids are honestly ones that we really look forward to because it's just making those memories with them. Um, and we have a youth season that happens here in Minnesota during MEA weekend, which is a uh, teacher workshop weekend here in Minnesota. And that's usually in uh, towards mid October to latter part of October. And it's great weather. It's just, it's a good time to be out there. The deer are patternable. They're, they're on a feed pattern. So you can get out there and have pretty high success on a nice deer during that period. Um, so we look forward to that youth hunt every year. Um, we generally, a lot of times take our kids out West to, to New Mexico for the youth season as well for elk. And, uh, and that's fun just because it's an adventure, uh, far away to go hunting in a different place. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, look, I mean, all adventure stuff when I've never been there before and, don't really know what to expect. It's always fun because you just, you, you're kind of seeing it for the first time. And I like that even as a producer and a cameraman, because I'm capturing it as I'm experiencing it. And I don't know exactly what is around the next corner. So it is just all new to me. And I like that side of things too. So, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's awesome. And one last point before we kind of wrap this up that I would like to dive into, cause you really brought up, uh, an interesting topic in my opinion. Um, I, 
I've noticed that when when I go hunting, you know, just like you mentioned, the first time you go to an area, it's like, ooh, look at that. Oh, wow, look at that. You know, wow, look at this thing I'm crossing, whatever. And then you come back and you kind of aren't as excited about certain things. And you come back a third time and you're not really excited about that until you see an animal. And then you're excited about the animal. Um, and I've noticed that you know, hunting with a kid – the all the stuff that you've gotten used to and you've taken for granted, they find extremely interesting. And I've noticed that if I'm filming myself and my son is there, I tend to get more B-roll and things like that because he goes, oh, dad, look at this. And it's something that I've taken for granted and kind of just started glazing over. Um, so when you are out there and you two are filming your hunt and it's maybe a hunt that that you've done two, three, four times, what kind mm-hmm. of, what kind of things and shots do you look for to make the outcome of that video be a unique experience? Cause obviously the overall hunt is different than the hunt from the year before, but at the same point, I, I do realize, I do notice that there's a kind of a challenge to get unique shots and unique B-roll and things like that. So what kind of stuff do you guys keep in mind or do to make your experience be unique after you've already been there once or two, one or two times? Well, that, you know, the first time is always about the, you know, that first time experience and, you know, going there and seeing that for the first time is usually what you capture. Um, But the second and third time, if we go back and we go back, like we went to Saskatchewan for whitetails, I think we're going on our 12th or 13th season. I mean, it, it all looks the same, right? After that many years, right. um, nothing's changed. So the storyboard then is created around, I mean, it could be new people that accompany you um, or in a lot of it's about the hunt itself, how that unfolds. And then the storyboard transpires as the hunt unfolds, right? I mean, you could hunt hard for six days from dawn to dusk and, and have encounters and stuff like that. It's, you know, how it all transpires and that that's, you know, important to try to, to capture that experience or that storyboard on camera and make something of it and make it make all, you know, sense for certain, but like, um, yeah, that, that is all, some of it's changed. And, and I wanted to bring this point up because I think this is a cool, cool thing that's happened over the years. And, and David and I have talked extensively about this is when we first started um, doing television, well, you know, in the early days of driven, um, we couldn't show because of network regulation, we couldn't show the experience of field dressing an animal and that part of it, which was always kind of uh, an important part of the the hunt itself i mean there's a lot of work that goes in if you've ever hunted and shot a moose you'll understand that's when the real work begins is when a moose hits the ground right so that's part of the experience so i mean that's honestly what you remember a lot of like wow those things are huge and it takes so long to process them um and get them all quartered up and cut up and back to to, to wherever you came from it's just all it's a lot of a lot of work, but 
very rewarding. And of course you have a lot of, a lot of meat in the end, but, right, um, right. <laughs> you know, we could not show that uh, early days. Well, over the years, regul that regulation is lifted and we're now being able to show the realism of, you know, breaking down a moose or a caribou or whatever animal it is. It could be even the experience of showing uh, on film your your son or daughter's first experience field dressing an animal um, and how to, you know, use the the swing blade with the, the gut hook on it and stuff like that. And, and that kind of thing brings realism. It brings memories back to the folks that are watching. They might like, Oh, I remember the first time, you know, when I was a kid, my dad showed me how to field dress a deer or whatever, you know, and that's the most important part of the production is capturing those moments and of course you do it tastefully, you know, we don't show like up to your elbows and blood and guts and nasty parts. We show it tastefully. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the coolest part that we've always done is, is try to show the entire hunt from start to finish and capturing those, those unique memories to make the storyboard. Yeah. You brought up so many good points there. Um, and, and I, I do, I completely agree because, um, it watching and, and realizing that that is such a huge portion of the hunt is, is kind of like realizing that opening to a kid, opening the presents is a huge portion of Christmas, right? Like, obviously the, the work after you walk up to the animal is especially on an elk or a moose or a buffalo, something like that is so, so extensive that um, it, it needs to be a part of the story. Cause uh, I don't know how many people I've, I've chatted with or whatever, or saw comments that they're like, well, you, so you actually take the meat out after you shoot them. And it's like, yes, absolutely. And that's, that's one thing that, that I think is definitely so important about showing, like you say, very tastefully showing that portion of the hunt because it's it is 100 percent part of the story so well well that, you know the field the field the field to uh sorry no you the field to the fork basically and nowadays especially is so important and it's, this is a great way to end this thing is just talking about the the aspect of um consuming what you're harvesting and in eating wild game is is become is become a kind of a, a new norm so to speak um especially when the prices and and um the the part of it that's healthier um is is becoming more of a focus it's a cool part to what we do i see that uh you know people are like ah, i don't want to eat that wild game before but now it's become a new norm and a lot of people of course are into consuming now what they're harvesting more so than I've ever seen before. Cause they know it's healthier. They know where it comes from and they like, they like to know that they're eating something that's, you know, good for them as well and not injected with hormones or whatever. So um, there's a, a new focus and, and 
it's kind of rejuvenated itself, so to speak, that that people are identifying that and butchering their own, you know, animals and and processing them and now consuming them. Um, we do a lot of cooking segments with Nicole and, and my daughter, Olivia, just talking about how they, you know, they might cut up a wild turkey and how, you know, we would deep fry that or, you know, cut, you know, do a, a roast or whatever using, you know, certain spices and stuff. So all this kind of thing has come full circle and it's really um, the coolest part to I, that I see going down the road is how, you know, the consuming of wild game has become kind of a cool factor and a new norm. Yeah, and and while I would completely bet that Nicole's cooking is quite a lot better than mine, um, one of my most favorite things to do, to your point, is when somebody is kind of interested in trying wild game but not sure, and then you cook them something and they try it, and they have that look on their face of that's wild game. Uh, I I really love cooking cooking. I don't really like the cleaning up part, but I really like the cooking. And um, I think to your point, you know, especially if somebody wants to go out and try wild game and cook it for themselves. Uh, pay attention to something like your guys's cooking segments or whatever else. Cause that is one thing about wild game is it's, it's very easy to overcook. And then as you both know, and then it doesn't taste good. And I've noticed when people come over and they try mine that they're like, wow, it looks, it looks pretty rare. And I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty close to where it needs to be. And then they taste it and they're, they're blown away, which is great. But um, yeah, I, I absolutely love cooking and eating wild game. And um, I'm so glad that, that you guys are out there and you're teaching people and giving good segments and tips on, on how to cook the wild game. Um, if you two would, just to wrap this up, if you could please let people know um, where, uh, you know, like on social media and Instagram and stuff like that, there they can follow along and uh, – what your YouTube handle is and all that stuff. So people can keep up with you. I would, that would be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So on across the board, it's driven hunter, um, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the above. So they can follow along. We've got some awesome hunts planned for this fall. So our, our schedule was a little in turmoil. As everybody knows in the past, we spent a lot of time in Canada and with the border being closed, we had to kind of revamp things and rethink things. But Pat's got a trip or two booked to Alaska here. So we'll be headed up there at least two times, possibly three this year. Awesome. And then of course, out west on elk and mule deer hunts. And then of course here um, around the Midwest for whitetail. So, and then of course our website is drivenhunter.com. We'll be posting pictures and things on that throughout the year and yeah. And different recipes and things for wild game. So yeah, everybody can check us out there. And like I said, we've got an, an interesting and exciting fall coming up. We can't wait. Hunting season will be here before we know it. Awesome. Well, I can't wait either. And I, I can't thank you enough for, uh, taking the time out today to hop on the Outdoor Edge podcast, and I hope to have you back on in the future. All right. Thanks so much, and have a wonderful day. Thanks yeah. for having us. Thanks.
Thank you for listening in. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. We hope to have you tuning in for the next episode.